Let me begin my homily this morning by reading to you a short paragraph which was written by Father Robert Barron. He's the priest who produced the highly acclaimed 10-part series entitled Catholicism, which aired on PBS earlier this year. Father Barron wrote the following. In today's Gospel from the sixth chapter of John, the Lord refers to himself as the living bread that came down from heaven. His hearers react vigorously against this claim. They say, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? We shouldn't judge Jesus' audience too harshly, for it would be hard to imagine a saying more theologically objectionable and frankly more disgusting for a first century Jew. Throughout the Old Testament, the Israelites were warned against the eating of an animal's flesh with his blood. Now this rabbi is telling them to eat his own flesh and blood. One might have expected Jesus at this point to offer a metaphorical, spiritualized interpretation to his words. Instead, he intensifies the realism of his language. He says, Amen, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you do not have life within you. The word used in Greek here for eat is not phagain, which designates the way human beings consume their food, but rather trogain, which designates the manner in which animals eat, something along the lines of gnawing. Jesus is not simply a teacher whose words we savor. He is an energy, a life force in whom we participate. We are not simply his disciples. We are members of his mystical body. Consequently, the Eucharist is not simply a symbol. It is the means by which Christ's life becomes our own. As Catholics, my brothers and sisters, we believe some incredible things, but none more incredible than this, that the creator of this vast and complex universe, this powerful personal being who knows every molecule of reality better than we know ourselves, this being who sees with perfect clarity all that was, all that is, and all that will be until the end of time, this omniscient, omnipotent God comes to us within the context of a meal, under the appearances of ordinary food and drink. No wonder the Jews in today's Gospel were astonished. They should have been astonished. What Jesus said to them was astonishing, overwhelming. It was true, of course, as well. We know that by faith. But it was definitely not what they expected to hear. And yet, from another perspective, I would maintain that they should have expected it. If there is a God, and there is, and if this God loves us human beings with a perfect love, and he does, 
then we should expect that loving God to come to us in a way that we can receive him. We should expect him to come to us, in other words, in a way that respects our human nature. Because he created it. He's the author of it. And what is more human, more fundamentally human, than eating? What is more basic to human life, as God designed it, than sitting down and sharing a meal with family and friends? Think of what a meal is when it's entered into with the right disposition of mind and heart. First of all, it's a time of nourishment, that's obvious. And that's its primary purpose, of course. Without food and without drink, we all die. But that's just the beginning. Yes, a meal is an occasion for satisfying a bodily need. But it's also much more. A meal is also a time for conversation. That is to say, it's a time for speaking and a time for listening. And listening is very important. If all we do is speak at a meal, the experience will not be very pleasant, will it be? At least it won't be pleasant for the people at table with us. Listening is crucial. A meal is also a time for reflection and planning. Think about it. How often during a meal do we talk about the past, things that happened? And we also make plans for the future. That happens all the time. It's part and parcel of the experience. A meal can also be a time for reconciliation and healing. When people have a spat, a dispute, a falling out, and they want to reconcile, they often break bread together, do they not? Hey, let's get together and talk about things over supper. A meal is also a time to get to know others. That's why when couples are dating, they often go out to restaurants to eat. A meal can also be a time of teaching and a time of learning. And for many people, it's when they are most themselves. They're most themselves at meals. They sit down, perhaps after a long day at work or school, they finally relax and they're able to be attentive and present to those around them at the table. That's what a meal is. Think now about how all of those points relate to the Eucharist. I spoke first of all about nourishment. The purpose, the primary purpose of the sacrificial meal that we call the Eucharist is to nourish us spiritually. Jesus told us that in this gospel. My flesh is true food, my blood is true drink. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me and I in him. But the Eucharist is even more than that. That would be enough, but it is even more. The Eucharist is also an occasion for conversation. Not, incidentally, with your neighbor in the pew. That comes before Mass or after Mass. I'm talking here about with the Lord. And it's a time to not only speak to the Lord, it's also a time to try to listen to Him. 
How many of us make the effort to listen to the Lord after we receive him in the Blessed Sacrament and go back to our pew to pray? Of course, we always go back to our pew to pray after receiving the Lord. No one of us I know would ever walk out of the church right afterward like Judas did at the Last Supper after he was... No, we wouldn't do that. Presuming, though, that this is the case, that everyone does return to their pew, how many of us do try to listen? We all should. After we receive the Eucharist, we should also reflect and plan, like we do at other meals. We should reflect on what's been going on in our life, and we should try to discern God's will for the future. And what a great time to do that. If you have a decision you need to make in your life, a big decision, what a great time to bring it to the Lord. He's right there with you, closer than he is at any other time. Lord, I'm having trouble with this situation. I'm not sure what to do. Enlighten me through the power of this blessed sacrament, through the power of your Eucharistic presence. Help me to know what I should do. Many people don't realize it, but venial sins can actually be forgiven by a worthy reception of Holy Communion if a person has true sorrow for those sins in his or her heart. Now, mortal sins are a different story. We're all clear about that, right? Mortal sins need to be brought to the sacrament of confession. But the teaching of the Church is venial sins can be forgiven through the Blessed Sacrament. So this meal, like other meals, provides us with an opportunity for reconciliation. In this case, reconciliation with God himself. The meal we call the Eucharist also provides us with an opportunity to get to know the Lord in a deeper way as we open our heart to the graces of the sacrament and as we reflect after communion on the word we heard at Mass. Hence, like other meals, it's a time for teaching and a time for learning. He teaches us, we learn. And finally, when we receive the Eucharist, we can be ourselves before God, and that's so important. We don't have to hide our struggles and concerns and imperfections and burdens and fears. We can and we should bring all of these things to Him in our post-communion prayer to receive the help we need to deal with all of these things. It's certainly understandable that the Jews in today's Gospel went a little crazy, so to speak, when Jesus told them that he would give them his body and blood for their spiritual nourishment. That's understandable. Pardon the pun, but that one was a very difficult one for them to swallow. But if they knew back then what all of you know now after listening to this homily, maybe at least some of them would have come to see things a little differently, understanding that this is exactly the way we should expect our God to touch our lives, in a human way, in a way that we can literally receive him as finite creatures. Let me conclude my homily this morning with one final point that I feel compelled to mention. There are many, many people in the world today who doubt God's love for them. They don't believe God loves them. Oh, maybe God loves the world in a total kind of way, but me, 
individually, personally, no, I don't think God has a real, pro uh, real interest in my life and what I go through. Perhaps some of those people who doubt God's love are right here in church this morning. If that describes you and where you're at, I beg you, remember the powerful message of the Eucharist, which hopefully I've brought out during the course of this homily. The message is very simply, God loves you so much that he's not only willing to share a meal with you, he loves you so much that he's willing to make himself the meal. Think about that the next time you receive him.